we'll be going ahead and looking at Luke chapter 12. And recently, we've been looking at parables of Jesus throughout the summer, uh, looking at different parables that Jesus told, and looking how they impact our lives today. You may think about somebody telling a story 2,000 years ago. What kind of meaning could that have today? But when it is Jesus telling a story 2,000 years ago, it can have every bit of meaning for us today as what it did 2,000 years ago. And especially as we think about this passage that we'll be looking at, uh, Luke chapter 12, and really if you were to read through the whole chapter, it is a, a chapter that would be good for us to refresh over and over and over, especially if we want a meaningful life. And really that's what we'll be looking at this evening is a meaningful life. What would make your life a meaningful life? What would bring purpose, if you will, in your life? There, there's a saying that says, if you want a meaningful life, then you must find meaning outside of your life. Not only must you find meaning outside of your life, but you could also say beyond this life. And so outside of my life and outside of this life is the only true way to have a meaningful life. Now, if we were to start out in the first verse, and we won't read all the way through, but the very first verse, it begins, it says, In the meantime, when they were gathered together, an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, he, speaking of Jesus, began to say unto his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And then he goes on speaking and teaching the people there. Imagine the crowd trampling over top of each other just to surround Jesus and hear him teach. Verse 6, it says, Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? And not one of them is forgotten before God? But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. And he continues on, and he's talking about many different things here. Uh, he speaks about trusting uh, God and not fearing man. Then we come down to verse 13. And in just a moment, we'll get into a story that Jesus tells. But in verse 13, it says, And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. Think about that statement. Out of all the things that Jesus has just got done talking about, here somebody comes along, and maybe there was many different people coming up to Jesus and asking him questions or talking to him or requesting certain things, but for whatever reason, this is the question or this is the statement that stuck out that Luke records and write down, writes down. goes on in verse 14, And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. 
And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much good laid up for many years. Take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Verse 22, we'll read on from verse 22 through verse 34. We won't go into this much. But what you find here is in verse 13, a man personally asked Jesus a question. To get involved in a situation, Jesus responds directly to this man with a statement. Then he opens up to the congregation or the, the multitude there and gives this parable. And then in verse 22, Maybe later on, he pulls his disciples aside and he speaks directly to them. And he says, he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, for what ye shall eat, neither for the body what ye shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouses nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And which of you, with taking thought, can add to a stature one cubit? If ye then be not able to do the things which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they toil not. They spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothe the grass, which today is in the field, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not ye what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, Neither be ye of doubtful mind, for all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that ye have, and give alms. Provide yourselves bag, bags which wax not old. A treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. As we look at this passage, and mainly at the parable we'll be looking at, but one of the things that kind of struck me is how this whole thing came about to be. Why did Jesus go off and talk about this rich man who had so much and didn't know what to do with? It all comes back, what I view as a covetous 
prayer. Think about that for a moment. A covetous prayer. What do I mean by a covetous prayer? Well, here you find a man asking Jesus to get involved in a family matter, and Jesus, can you help me in this situation? Well, as we recognize Jesus is God, any request to Jesus is a request to God, right? And any request to God is a prayer. So technically, this man, in a sense, is praying or requesting something of Jesus. Now, we often say, you know what? I want a response from my prayer. Probably not in the way this man had a response to his prayer. After the man asks Jesus to get involved in this family matter, most likely is their parents had passed away, the inheritance is now being divided up, he is most likely the younger brother, not getting as big a portion as the older brother. Now to him, this isn't fair. Why? Well, what I have found in life is anytime we don't get our share, we don't think it is fair, right? Just a little way to help remind, remind us in a little rhyme, if I don't get my share, it's not fair. It doesn't matter if you don't get your share, as long as I don't get my share. You, you see it with children all the time. And for this man, he didn't think he had his share. So Jesus, can you get involved? But do you know, as I stop and think about that, have I ever had a covetous prayer? Asking God to get involved in a matter where I am more concerned about the physical than I am about the spiritual. Asking God to get in a matter where I am more concerned about my physical benefit than a relationship. Think about that. He didn't care about the relationship with his brother. All he wanted was the inheritance. And he wanted Jesus to get involved, not to restore a relationship that may have fractured. And we see this all the time, don't we? When a parent passes away and all of a sudden the whole family just disintegrates because everybody wants more. And you know, as I stop and think about my prayer life, how much of my prayer life is more concerned about the physical, the financial, my benefit, than it is about the spiritual or about relational? And that's where Jesus speaks. He says, man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness. What he's pointing out is this man's request is based in covetousness. And he goes on, A man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Your life does not bring on meaning by the amount of stuff you have. My life does not hold meaning based on how much stuff I accumulate. 
And that's where he goes into this parable. But in just a moment, as we look in verse 23, it says, The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Think about that for a moment. Your life is more than just something to consume. And your body is more than just clothes to put on. Now, we all understand that to a degree, right? But yet, so many times, we just accumulate and consume. And we clothe our body. But yet, in a sense, if we want to put it in a practical sense, my body, there's more to my body than just to put clothes on it, right? Because a mannequin in the store is something to put clothes on and to decorate. And my body is more than just a mannequin. And a meaningful life is finding meaning beyond my life and beyond this life. And that's where we'll come back to this parable that Jesus taught in verse 16. He said a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. If we stop for a moment right here, and we put ourselves in this man's position, what would you do? If you had such an abundance of crop, as it starts out, this man was already rich, and the ground brought forth plentifully. So much, his barns could not hold everything that came in. What would you do with it all? Now, one thing that I don't know about you, but I found about me, it is easier to manage other people's money than it is to manage my own money, right? It is easier to speak wisdom in how other people should spend their money than it is to take on wisdom of how to spend my money. And so in one sense, as we look into this passage and we see this man has so much that comes in, and it's easy to navigate and say, you know what, this is how you should spend it. But if we were, each one of us, honest with ourselves, do you know how we would spend it? If we had a bonus crop like this, we would spend it in the same way we received our last bonus or promotion or extra sum of money. Think about that for a moment. What they have mentioned about people that have received the lottery... The lottery does not change a person's character. It only magnifies a person's character. And what that means is, if a person is an extremely generous person, 
and they get the lottery, yes, they will continue to be an extremely generous person. But if a person is a spender and just blows their money when they receive the lottery, they're just going to be a magnified spender blowing their money. And whatever the character is, the way a person manages their money right now is the same way they would spend it or use it or save it or give it if they received a bumper crop, if you will. With this man, he has this abundance of crop. And he says, I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. You know, my barns are not big enough. Eh, I don't want to just give everything else away. I know what I'll do. I'll tear them down, build bigger. Then I don't have to work for the rest of my life. Not only that, but I can sit back and just ease, take the comfort, just all for my own pleasure. Now, as we stop and think about this, and in just a moment, we'll look at uh, different verses. Jesus is not speaking against wealth. Jesus is not speaking about storing up for retirement. Jesus is not speaking against those things. But what we find here is that is all this man thought about. He didn't think about other people. He never thought about God. All he was consumed with was his ease and his pleasure for the rest of his life. To which God responds, Thou Fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. God says, yes, you have so much planned out to make it so easy for the rest of your life. But do you know what? I'm not even going to allow you to eat breakfast. Think about that. Then, who's this all that going to be? In a sense, what it's saying is, everything you have labored for, someone else is going to enjoy. Everything you have ever saved for, somebody else is going to spend. Everything that you have collected, well, somebody else is going to distribute and maybe just send it off to the rubbish. At that point, what, are you looking beyond? And this is sometimes we might say about financial maturity. Financial maturity is delaying pleasure today for something better in the future. Whether it's a child to delay, keep spending on sweets so that maybe he could buy a toy for 100 pounds 
Or maybe it's as a teenager growing up and getting to late teens, you know what? I'm going to stop spending on all of these toys so that I can buy a, a car. Or maybe it's in young 20s and saying, you know what? I'm going to stop spending on all of these things so that I can save up for a house. And then as they're going through life, I'm going to save up towards retirement. But then as they're going through life, is retirement the last thing we save for or put aside for? And as a Christian, so many times... As followers of Jesus, we have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation and spending eternity in heaven, but yet it is though we haven't put our faith and resting of storing up treasures in heaven. It's almost as though we can trust God for our salvation to look beyond that we will spend eternity in heaven, but yet, I've got to live today for today, not thinking about eternity. And that is what this man has done. I am going to take everything in and consume it for myself. Now, one of the things that is important, if we go back in verse 16, the very first few words, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. What was it that brought forth plentifully? The ground. Now, yes, the man had to plant the seed, and yes, the, the man had to send people out to weed and to care for it. But ultimately, who brings in the crop? God does. God's the one that brings out the sunshine. God's the one that brings in the rain. And yes, this man may have contributed to parts. But if God wouldn't have had sent the rain at all, no matter how much this man had put in the effort, there would have been no or extremely little crop. But never considering God's part, instead he just consumed it all upon self. And you know, for each one of us, no matter how much we might say, you know what, I have worked hard for this position I have tried to study hard to get this job or this role. No matter what we do, we have to stop and think. God is the one that has given the ability and strength that I have. God is the one that has given me the mind that I have. And really, everything that I have is ultimately His. And I am just a steward of Him. And that's where Jesus continued on speaking to his disciples. But we don't have to worry in this life. All the nations, yes, they worry about the food and the clothing and what they're going to eat and all of those things. But as followers of Jesus, resting in the promises that he has given to us, we can know that God is going to care for us. But I want to go forward to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6 is Paul is writing to Timothy. 
Some of these verses are extremely familiar to us. But in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul is warning Timothy, a young minister growing up, serving the Lord, and he's giving warnings. He gives a command, but he also gives a command to command others. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6, it says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. Very well known verse. We've come into this world with nothing. We came in naked, and we're going to leave with nothing. And he says, allow ourselves to be content with what we have. He goes on. In verse 9, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So he gives that warning and then he goes directly towards uh, Timothy and gives this command. He says, but thou... O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God who quickeneth all things and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in this time he, hath sh he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality dwelling in the light, which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. But then in verse 17, so we have the caution. We have the warning. He, we have the direct command to Timothy. But then now we, in verse 17, we have a charge that Timothy is to give to the rich. Now, I know one thing that every one of us would say at this moment. This isn't for me because I'm not rich. The truth is, if we were to take the, the world global wealth, we would be classified in the rich. But, but here in the Western world, surveys have been done, and do you know who each person classifies as rich? Statistically, it's always double of what I have or what I make. So the person that has 20, or makes 20000 a year, well, a person that makes 40000 or more, they are rich. A person that makes 40000 a year, well, I'm not rich. A person that makes 80000 or more, they're rich. But then a person 80000 they're not rich. I mean, they're just making ends meet just like everybody else is. It's a person that makes 
160 times. And that's the way we view things because nobody considers themselves rich. But the honest truth is all of us are rich in the world's eyes. But one thing is before we go on, Paul does not speak against wealth. Paul does not say it is wrong to be rich. So what does he charge? What does he command? He says, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches. So the two things that he tells them, do not be high-minded, do not be arrogant, and allow your wealth to make you think that you are more important than everybody else. And isn't that what often happens? The more money a person has, the more they think there's something special about them. And everybody should listen to them. Isn't that the way it is in the world? Just because somebody has a lot of money, they think everybody ought to listen to them. So he says, don't be high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches. No matter how much money you have, don't put all of your confidence in the things of this world. Why? Because notice the word that describes the riches. Uncertain riches. In this world, well, we've seen financial crashes. We've seen markets wiped out, housing markets drop. We've seen things like that. The things of this world are uncertain. He's don't, don't put all of your confidence in those things, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Now, as we stop for just a moment, think about that phrase that Paul just said. Don't be high-minded. Don't think high of yourself. Don't trust in your uncertain riches, but instead trust in the living God who gives to us richly all things to enjoy. Think about that for a moment. And this is where I'm saying Paul is not against riches. Paul is not against wealth. Instead, in fact, he says, you know what? God has given us things to enjoy. But what he's also saying is he is not giving it to us only for us to enjoy. In fact, if we were to look at uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29, it says, let them that steal, steal no more. Now, that's a good start, right? If a person is stealing, hey, stop stealing. But that's not all Paul commands. But rather, let him labor with his hands. Okay, great, Paul. If a person is stealing, they need to stop, and instead, they need to start working so they have money so they don't have to steal. But that's not where Paul stops in that phrase. So that they can give to him that needeth. 
So he says, let him that steal, steal no more, but rather let him labor with his hands so that he may give to those that are in need. Paul is not just about stop stealing. Paul is not just about stop stealing and start working so that you have money. He is all about stop stealing, start working so you have money so that you can give to those that are in need. The truth is, the wealthy are not the only ones that are greedy. Poor people can be greedy too. And what determines greed is how much we spend all on self and what is closest to me. And if nothing ever goes outwards to those around, that can be a picture of greed. And the only antidote to greed is generosity. So that's where as we continue on in this passage in 1 Timothy chapter 6, as it mentions, don't be high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but rather trust in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Verse 18, it says that they may do good and that they be rich in good works. So if we were to sum it up, really he's saying, charge those that are rich in earthly things to be rich in good works. How, is that, how, how do we do that? As it continues on, ready to distribute, willing to communicate or to share, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. He's saying, remind them that this world is not all that there is. Remind them to look beyond this world, to use the wealth that God has provided, to distribute to those that are in need, to see something bigger beyond their life than just to consume upon their life. And really, in a sense, this passage of what Paul is writing to Timothy really does correlate right with this passage that Jesus is sharing in this parable. And then as he teaches and talks to the disciples. But as we stop and think about all of these things, how far down the road are we planning? Are we planning just 10 years down the road or 20 years or 30, 40 for retirement? And all of those, if you were to go through the book of Proverbs, there are so many Proverbs speaking about being prudent. There are so many Proverbs that are, speak about laboring, which will bring the wealth, but yet laziness and will bring poverty. There are verses that speak about laying up an inheritance for your children. None of those things are wrong. In fact, they're wise. But if that's all we do, that's unwise. 
And that is what Jesus is teaching here. Looking beyond this present world. In verse 21, So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich towards God. They might have a good-sized checking account, although we don't use checks anymore. They might have a good-sized savings account. They might have a good-sized retirement account. But what about their heavenly, eternal account? That's where in verse 34, it says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And as we stop and think, as we are on this world, I believe every single one of us would say, I desire a meaningful life. But how do we have a meaningful life? Really, as that statement goes, it is finding meaning beyond my life. And finding meaning beyond this life. Because life is not all about what we consume. And yet, so many times, people all around us, we see that happen. And if we're not careful, we find ourselves being sucked into it, of getting more and more. Or, when we see really what's going on around and the costs of things rising, it's very easy to start pulling back on the amount we give because the cost of everything else continues to rise. But we also have to think beyond and ask the question, how am I living my life? How am I using what God has provided in my hands? Am I laying up just for myself, for the present, or am I laying up and becoming rich towards God? But even just going back to the very beginning, one of the things that was quite convicting to myself was what led to this whole story the covetous prayer. I've often heard the two uh, things, if you want to find out what is the priority and most important in a person's life, look at their paycheck, or not their paycheck, but the way they spend their money, and look at their calendar, how they spend their time. But I think, in a sense, with this category, you could almost add in one more category, their prayer life. What consumes their prayer time can also reveal what is most important. If most of our prayer time is about the physical needs, or does it picture the spiritual needs all around us? Do we pray more specifically for all of my needs, my physical needs, or am I praying for my spiritual and the spiritual of those around me. Because as this man pointed out for his physical, but yet Jesus pointed out, that's a covetous prayer. 
And let us look beyond ourselves. Look at the things of God and look at those around. And how will I use what God has provided me to lay up store in store in heaven? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts as we recognize what you have given in our hands more than what we deserve. And I pray that you would help us to use it wisely for your honor and glory. Lord, we pray for if there is one here that maybe hasn't put their faith and trust in you. Yes, we need to be thinking about eternity and laying up in store for eternity, but most of all, we pray that they would know you personally and have their sins forgiven, that they know that they will be in heaven for eternity in your presence. Lord, we pray each one of these things in your name. Amen. At this time, we'll go ahead and have our final hymn, How Great the Chasm That Lay Between Us. Let's stand as we sing.
Amen. Aren't you thankful for what Jesus Christ has done? You know, as we go out uh, this evening and we stop and think, I encourage you to read through that passage because Jesus speaks so much about anxiety and about not worrying about the things of this world. You know, uh, there's a book uh, that is entitled The Seven it's titled, The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. What are those seven habits? If you were to go down through, the first one is be proactive. The second one is begin with the end in mind. The third one is put first things first, so priorities. And you know, as you stop and think about begin with the end in mind, and really what he talks about, is think about what you want said at your funeral about you, and live your life so that can be said. But you know, as a Christian, we can look beyond that. Not just what people say about us in this world at our funeral, but think about what we want said when we meet Jesus face to face. And live today and the rest of our life so that happens. And that's really what Jesus is talking about. Looking forward to eternity and living our life here and now, preparing for eternity. If I could ask Andrew to close us in a word of prayer.